But now I am thrilled to invite uh, to introduce to you uh, Charlotte Botsford, uh, whom uh, many of you know, uh, a life member here at the Advent and also a former associate youth director here at the Advent. And uh, so Charlotte, uh, welcome home. And uh, Charlotte is recently engaged uh, to Alex. And so congratulations to you, Alex, and best wishes to you, Charlotte. So we celebrate with you, but more so we celebrate that you are here uh, to deliver the gospel to us via Savannah. And so we will hear from Charlotte after we now stand and sing hymn number 470. Let us bow our heads today. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, and um, for all of my friends and family and strangers that are in this room today. And um, I just pray that you would be with me. Feeling a little nervous, and uh, youth minister to the pulpit's a little big jump. And um, I just pray that these words would be about you and not about me. And if anything that I say is not of you, that you would just block people's ears to hear it, Lord, and that um, their hearts would only be affected. Um, by words that you long for them to hear. We love you so much, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. The reading I'd like to share with y'all today is from Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 1, which is the story of the Valley of the Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O Sovereign Lord, you alone know. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. It is my great hope that, like my fiancé, Alex, and myself, many of you watch the show The Walking Dead, which is in its second season on AMC, just to give a plug. Um, While the visuals can be really violent at times, the show presents a jarring yet compelling portrait of the absolute depravity of the human condition. The story follows Rick Grimes, a small-town Georgia sheriff, who wakes up one day from a coma to discover that the world has undergone a zombie apocalypse. According to The Walking Dead, the process of becoming a zombie is physiological as opposed to mystical. A fever epidemic had broken out, and once an individual had been infected with the disease, they would die shortly thereafter. Then, anywhere between three minutes and eight hours after their death, their corpse would reanimate, reawaken as a zombie, a walker. The zombies appear human, but in truth are just crude, primal counterfeits. They're soulless. They walk and they crave blood, primarily human blood. They don't need sleep or oxygen, and they're unfazed by any physical damage except a lethal blow to the head. This is all very logical, and you all know this. They are the walking dead, simultaneously dead and undead. So, by the time Rick Grimes wakes from his coma, he seems among the minority of people who have withstood the epidemic. He joins with other survivors to to attempt at prevailing in this new fallen world. Together, they wander the vacant lands, search for sanctuary, 
and struggle to the tips of their toes to preserve their humanity, whatever that even means now, ever hunted by the bloodthirsty zombies. After the first several episodes, though, the distinction becomes intangible as to which population the show's title refers to. The zombies or the survivors? Who is the walking dead? Even the populace of the human remnants is broken and dismembered, operating only in survival mode, wondering if their humanity, too, has forsaken them for human counterfeits. And in the core of all of us, in our most raw and volatile condition, is that same intangibility. When our bodies and all else have failed us, what is at our core? The question isn't who, but what are we? If the answer is this irreparable brokenness, and the Bible lays that case very clearly, then how are we repaired? How are we remembered? Just as God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? The word remember, in its original meaning, didn't just denote the recollection of a memory. Rather, it meant the opposite of dismember, which this is fascinating to me. Um, Think of it like this. To be remembered, there must first occur a severing, a dismembering. And what follows is a sort of grafting together, a remembering. It's important to note that it is impossible to be remembered without first being dismembered, because re implies an action repeating itself, or something returning to its original state. This is utterly fascinating to me. God asks us countless times throughout the Bible to remember him. And if we think of that word in its original definition, then he isn't just asking us to recall him to memory, but rather to graft ourselves together with him. And the use of remember implies that we were once whole with him. The roots of God's separation are in the very beginning. Even in the creation story of Genesis, God separates the light from the darkness. He separates water from water by creating the sky. He separates the land from the water. And each unique bird and animal and plant, he separates from one another. Curiously, though, through all this separation, is that once God was finished with it, he called the result good. Next, God literally dismembers Adam, removing his rib in order to create Eve. And one of the great biblical love ballads, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, results from this separation, this dismemberment. The gesture of Adam's dismemberment dismemberment in order to accomplishment the embodiment of Eve presupposes Jesus' dismemberment on the cross to accomplish our embodiment, our rememberment, bone of my bones. Although Eve would eat an apple and man would fall, separated from God, God wouldn't merely make it okay by sending Jesus. He would accomplish something even more powerful than if we had lived out our days in Eden. That is an unbelievably empowering truth. In dark times, I sometimes indulge in the idea that all the bad things in my life have been the result of some cosmic accident on God's part. As if he's up in heaven saying, whoops. As if he lost a wrestling match with Satan and is crying over a bruised wrist, apologizing to me for his weakness. Or maybe he just forgot about me. 
Time and again, we look to our own personal suffering in this way, rather than recognizing it as something God knew and planned for all along, as a warrior who has gone before us, even leading us into the depths, leading us there because he knew it would make us better. And I think many of us also think of the fall in this way, as if God just got busy and forgot to keep a close eye on that crafty Eve who loves apples, I don't know. He created our entire world by separating. And of course, he would prove to see that through by separating man from himself. All along knowing when and where and how he would one day reconcile us unto himself again. And it would be good. That mysteriously, even paradoxically, we would be more rich and more depthful as new creations remembered by Jesus' sacrifice. And doesn't this point towards what will happen in heaven? How would we know perfect paradise without having its antithesis to put it up against? Yet there's something terribly tempting, but inherently wrong, about the human tendency and struggle to both avoid sin and suffering, and yet wallow in it, as if that's what we expected all along, as if that's all we're worth. Or even as if we couldn't possibly be capable of committing any true sin. And I want to politely assert right here and now that if sin is a word that makes you go, ugh, maybe it evokes guilt or sadness or it's depressing, you're wrong. If this is how you think, then you don't understand sin's crucial place in the Christian story. And you don't understand that sin is why we are remembered. It's how we are remembered. It's... The re-remembered. And if you watch The Walking Dead, and haven't seen the season finale, this is a spoiler alert, earmuffs. Gotta, you know, blow a little cover here. Um, So initially in the story, the survivors believe that the zombie virus is spread, either by being bit by one of them, or by contracting the virus itself. But in this season's finale, they come to learn that the virus isn't just spread or contracted. We're all infected says Rick Grimes. Whatever it is, we all carry it. Meaning, it doesn't take being bitten by a zombie to turn. That capacity has been inside each of them all along. The same capacity, metaphorically of course, is in all of us too. And it has been since the very beginning. Perhaps seemingly dormant, but you know as well as I that when push comes to shove, it's there. In thought, word and deed, it lurks, rearing its power in both small and enormously detrimental ways. And as humorous as the idea might seem, or terrifying for some of us, if we did find ourselves in the throes of the zombie apocalypse, wouldn't we too watch our humanity deteriorate deteriorate before our very eyes and know that sin was real? What wouldn't we do to save our family members? Or, dare I say it, what wouldn't we do to save ourselves? Unspeakable things. Jesus was condemned on Calvary by people who were terrified of him, acting from a condition of raw, base humanity, survival of the fittest. And but for the grace of God, it would have been me to nail our Lord's hands on the cross that day. We are the walking dead. We are sinful, broken, dismembered, counterfeits, cursed. Son of man, can these bones live? Yes, 
For the curse, the fall, is the actual agent that finally elicits redemption. This is so counterintuitive. Upon the cross, Jesus not only takes on but makes himself this very curse. Therefore, we are not victims of God's whim to curse the human race. No, our sin and sorrow and suffering are trials God had planned for us since the beginning. And what was on us in the beginning is now and was always intended for his shoulders. In that way, we are only victims of God placing a curse on himself, when you really think about it. Everything we know to be true or real in this world results from comparison to something else. We know when someone loves us because we've experienced not being loved by another person. We know that it's hot outside because we've been cold before. We know if something is good because we have seen evil, and so on. It's these, albeit unconscious, binary comparisons that drive us into career paths to fight for what we believe in. And I'm about to make a very non-postmodern argument. We must believe in something because by comparison, we believe that everything else is not true. If you believe in Jesus, then you have to believe that his story is true. That he came for a dire and specific and predetermined reason. Why did Jesus come to earth and undergo enormous, unimaginable suffering, which are historically recognized events, if the endeavor wasn't the only potent antidote to some abominable problem? This is what C.S. Lewis calls the deep magic of the cross. So it is through suffering, not a bunch of happy miracles, that we are remembered. And it is by remembering Jesus' suffering and the partaking of his broken body and blood that he says we are thus remembered, grafted together with him through the Holy Spirit. Drink this in remembrance of me. The good news is that all of this is not cause for sadness or self-pity. If we really understand how bad we are inside, then we also realize just how desperately we needed Jesus to accomplish for us what we are incapable of accomplishing on our own. And the truth that he loves us so much that he did is cause for laughter and joy and weeping and praise. He separated himself from the Father, separated to come down to earth as man, and it was good. He died the death of a murderer, his body beaten and marred, and it was good. From his sacrifice, we are made whole, transformed, forgiven, and remembered in a way that no one and nothing else could fulfill, and for nothing of our own deserving. A faithful character from The Walking Dead in reference to the zombies, humorously remarks, I can't profess to understand God's plan, but when Christ promised a resurrection of the dead, I just thought he had something a little different in mind. When Jesus died on the cross on Good Friday so many years ago, when he was laid in the tomb, a stone imprisoning his broken human bones, many of even his closest friends must have had a similar thought. I thought he had something a little different in mind. And don't we always? And then on the third day, the stone was rolled away, and there stood Jesus, undead. 
And as my favorite Easter hymn sings, Thou of life, the author, death didst undergo. Tread the path of darkness, saving strength to show. Come then, true and faithful, now fulfill thy word. Tis thine own third morning. Rise, O buried Lord. Welcome, happy morning, age to age shall say. Hell today is vanquished. Heaven is won today. Because of what happened on Calvary, it is no longer we, trapped in the mire of our depravity, but Jesus, who is the risen, walking, dead. And like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, he meets us in our sin and suffering, and he breathes gracious breaths of new life into our weary, dead, dry bones. This fact is our stronghold. It is our truth. It is our singing and our joy. Wonder of wonders. We are not damned. We are not an accident. We are not bones and tendons amassed in an arid field. Life has been breathed into us again. We are pieced back together, remembered in God's very image of perfection. We are loved unconditionally, personally, in spite of anything we could ever do to earn it or shake it. We are utterly helpless, but we are utterly helped. Loose the souls long imprisoned, bound with Satan's chain. All that now has fallen, raised to life again. Show thy face in brightness, bid the nations see. Bring again our daylight, day returns with thee. Welcome, happy morning, age to age shall say. Hell today is vanquished, heaven is won today. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for the opportunity to speak here, and I just pray that um, you know hesitant hearts in this audience would be flushed and if people are mad, then that would be good, and that if they're glad, that would be good, and that once again, these words would be your words, um, just really infecting our hearts, Lord God, and that we would understand just the dramatic role reversal that happened when we were remembered from Christ's dismemberment. Love you so much, and pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.